Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, we are live! Lyrically, I'm untouchable, uncrushable. What's going on, everybody? It's your man, Brandon Stubbs. Another episode here of Punch in the Face Radio. Appreciate you joining me. As you can tell, I'm feeling a little bit under the weather, which I know a lot of people are, so we're just pushing through it. Luckily for me, I have co-host extraordinaire, the one and only Adam Abramowitz of SaturdayNightBoxing.com. He's here with me tonight to help me uh, get along here through the show because there was no way in the world we weren't going to do a show here for the boxing people. Yeah. How are you, Brandon? And uh, I know it's been very uh, strange times, uh, tough times, scary times. Uh, but, you know, the, the show must go on. The, the good thing about podcasts is uh, – uh, you know, most of the people in boxing Twitter are certainly more than comfortable enough with social distancing, because <laughs> I think most Very of us, uh, yeah, I think most of us spends a lot of time, uh, you know, watching fights late at night or, uh, you know, on social media a lot. And I'm not trying to make light of it. I know it's a tough situation for families and uh, people are not being able to see loved ones and not getting school. It, it's tough. But, you know, the good thing about something like podcasts is uh, we could do them anywhere from anywhere. So I'm happy to do this. And uh, uh, it's been a very tough time. I know they're uh, going back to the sport for a minute. And again, I know there's more serious things in the world. But listen, if you want a coronavirus podcast, I'm sure there's 50 that you could go to right now from epidemiologists <laughs> all around the world and, you know, politics, blah, blah, blah. So if that's what you need, there are avenues for that. But we are a boxing podcast, so we will talk about that. And there were so many good fights we were looking forward to in the spring that are all gone. No blame, just the way it is, the realities of the world. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a very tough time for the sport, um, especially since boxing was in a growth mode. There was a lot of uh, money being thrown at it. There was a lot of momentum. Of course, we had that big Wilder Fury fight and, you know, a third one on the way. We had a lot of other good stuff coming. So whenever this gets ramped back up, and we don't know if it's going to be two months, four months, you know, uh, the sport's going to have to uh, uh, get going. I mean, you got a lot of guys in the sport that aren't getting paid right now, not just fighters, trainers, the whole apparatus, everybody affiliated with the boxing industry uh, that's not salaried, uh, which are a lot of people are not getting paid. So it's a lot of tough times, uh, and we'll we'll try and uh, have a show tonight, and, uh, you know, We'll do the best we can. Yeah, we're here to uplift, not depress, because trust me, there's enough of that amongst everything. But we do have to deal with reality, and the reality is, you know, there's going to be no fights, like you said, at least for the foreseeable future. But, you know, Adam, I'm going to put this spin on it. Now, obviously, the coronavirus has delayed fight cards uh, all of March, April, which, let me just say, I had to cancel yesterday my flight, my hotel for NOA Casemiro. That shit broke my heart. Uh, yeah, but it is what it is. Yeah, definitely heard on that one. But, you know, I'm going to pose this question to you. With all these fights getting delayed, postponed, uh, do you think there's any fighters who actually may benefit from being able to get extra time? Uh, do you think there's any fights that actually may get more juice added to it, that it gets pushed back? 
you know, is there any actual benefit that can come out of these fights getting pushed back and delayed? I got one for you that's very interesting. And um, this isn't something I would have thought until I thought about it more and then until I've been reflecting on some recent performances. So there's a guy who is very active for much of his mid-30s, and we have seen some deterioration in recent fights. He hasn't been as busy in the last year or two, but he's not really been off. And, and the guy I'm thinking of specifically is Gennady Golovkin. And mm. on one hand, you're like, the guy's 37. Do you want him out of the ring for a year? But on the other hand, you said, this guy knows how to train. This guy doesn't need to go through four-month camps. He stays in shape. You know, the, the fact that he's probably not putting himself through another camp of you know fighting this this whoever because they talked about going making a Canelo a third Canelo fight later on in the year if that works out that there's this handshake agreement and I kept thinking to myself because I honestly Brandon in the course of the regular human events I was thinking I think Canelo might knock Golovkin out in fact I may still go that way but I was reflecting on Chocolito's performance Roman Gonzalez's performance and maybe the reason why he looks so much better is that the guy finally had a year off, you know, because he, he was so – he had so many tough fights. And Golovkin has had some really tough fights recently, the Jacobs fight, the Dervinchenko fight, the Canelo fights. Maybe a year off there, even though he's older and you're like, ah, oh, it's not good, maybe that could be a good thing for him to be honest with you. You know, that's a very interesting game, and I got to say, I don't disagree with that at all. I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, people don't understand the wear and tear on your body when you're going through these fights, even if you're fighting twice a year. You're still maintaining, you're still staying in somewhat um, level of shape, and then if you're getting going into these fight camps, that's going to deteriorate your body more. I I think it it could substantially be helpful to a guy like Gennady Golovkin. I I think that's... That's a good guess. I'm also going to say this. I'm going to throw another name out, and I, and I obviously I think this is one that I think the further he gets away from it time-wise, I think it's going to help him, especially if the fight was going to be in July. I think Deontay Wilder. I think he's another yeah. with this extended time and with them being able to now push that fight back. It's obviously – I don't think it's going to happen in July. I didn't think it was going to happen in July anyway. If you're looking at you know September, October, you know sometime in the fall for that third and final installment between him and Tyson Fury – I think that gives him more time to self-reflect and actually get through his head he lost and not point fingers at anyone and all this other stuff and, you know, you know, you know getting the self-belief of things. He just needs to look at cold, hard facts and say, I lost, I got defeated. It is what it is. So I definitely think he's one that would, would benefit. Now, I just got to – I think um, – Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I did get a tweet in here from uh, – Mike Cordava, uh, 55, uh, he said, with the delays, we will not keep uh, one-time Thurman at all this year, uh, uh, you know, for the next couple months and post-next his fights. You know, I, I, that's another guy. I think if you're talking about somebody it hurts, Keith Thurman's a guy it hurts. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people it hurts. I'll tell you, like, it doesn't hurt a guy like Pacquiao. You know, he's a guy who could train himself by at this point of his career. Um I think it's probably good for a guy like J-Rock, to be honest with you. I think he yeah. took a tough loss, and there was a lot of stick. Oh, he didn't take that immediate rematch with Rosario. He got some surgery and a scar tissue. I think there's going to be a lot less pressure on him now to make this return. 
So if he winds up out of the ring for six, seven months, he got He needs. It's another one where they need to uh, kind of go back to the drawing board a little bit. Um, I think that's a guy that it's not going to hurt. I mean, in most cases, it's going to hurt people. I mean, it's never a good thing to be out, especially if you're a young fighter. You know, especially if you're gaining momentum in your career, if you're trying to peak physically. Uh, I think the people it's going to help are the veterans, the ones who are, you know, in their 30s, who've been through training camps, who can, you know, who, who kind of have things on their, they'll, you know, they'll be okay. Um, I don't think it's going to hurt Canelo, for instance. I think he'll be fine whenever he comes back. They have a good camp down there. Uh, he's always in shape, you know, especially the last couple of years. I, I, I don't think it's going to hurt him. Um and there might be a couple guys, you know, like Golovkin, you know, like Wilder, like J-Rock, where it could help. So I, I think that's a great call with um, – I think that's a great call with Wilder, too. Uh, uh, I just – you just didn't know. You know, even even if they don't go back into camp right away, just sitting back, reflecting, you know, being in a better place of mind mentally, you know, taking time to assess things, I think that will be very good for him moving forward. Yeah, definitely in the way he lost, I think that's definitely a good thing for him. I think that pushes, uh, gives him more time to get himself mentally together. Now, I, I will say somebody that it doesn't benefit that all the weird stories are coming out about, Tyson Fury. Um, you know, if you've read the internet, there's a lot of weird stories and allegations going on about him. Um, I think obviously when a third fight does come, I think those allegations may get ramped up more. I don't think there's any fluidity to it, but who, who am I? I don't know. Uh, but I think, unfortunately, in times like this, when there isn't actual boxing going on, you're going to get more stuff like that. You're going to get more these weird humdrum stories popping yeah. up uh, about fighters and all this other stuff. Now, I will say this in that same token, though, Adam. I want to give a big thank you to Adrian Broner, because even in time of crisis, Adrian Broner still decides to go out and do dumb shit. And we salute him for that, for distracting our minds for a little bit. <laughs> Uh, for those who don't know, last week, Adrian Broner got arrested for DUI. He was asleep in his car down in Florida, he was able to bail himself out in enough time to witness the birth of his eighth child with the seventh woman. My man, uh, got to give it up to Adrian Broner for just really just going above and beyond for us in the boxing community. One of the things I got to talk about, because as a recently married person going through different phases of my life, I have to salute him on having really healthy sperm. So like, good for him, you know, like that's, you know, he, he has some good Broner sperm, you know, stock. So that's good stuff. I, that's good stuff. I mean, yeah, it's I mean, listen, he's, you know, he's not even 30, right? He, he's what, he's 29, yeah. you know, so I mean, he, by the time this is done, you know, you're talking and he's going to be in the, the tens, the teens, you know, he, he's going to be doing his, uh, you know, if you believe in be fruitful and multiply, uh, Mr. Broner is certainly doing that, so he he is playing his part. So, well I done. I mean, he's got enough right now for full court four on four basketball. So, uh, <laughs> salute to him. One more, one more, he can actually have a whole softball team. So, you know, yeah. he, he's definitely doing his That's part cool. to um, <laughs> to procreate and help the help the, uh, the the community and help the environment. So, but I don't. I mean, yeah. it's just it's just weird times here with with the boxing and, and things getting delayed and what have you. But um, 
Another subject matter here we, we do have to bring up, and this is unfortunate as well. It's, it's kind of been a real shitty week for boxing as a whole. Uh, yesterday, if you listen to the show here, so on Tuesday, we had the passing of uh, famed trainer and fighter Roger Mayweather, the original Black Mamba. Uh, for Obviously, he's known as Uncle Roger. So really, all of us uh, of my generation, we know him as Uncle Roger, uh, Floyd Mayweather's uncle and a longtime trainer as well. Uh, you know what? For us, I know we, me. You were talking here before the show. We're, we weren't really growing up in the era when he was an active fighter. We know him more as the trainer, but he was a titleist. You know, he won a couple of championships. Was a a very much a a far different fighter from what his nephew is. Uh, so, you know, what do you think his impact on boxing will be now that unfortunately he's passed on at the age of fifty eight? Well, I think I think he had two different careers um, that are very distinct. You know, as a pro career, as a pro, he was known for having a very good right hand, an aggressive temperament. He actually was known as the Mexican assassin for a while. He gave that name to himself, I believe. And so he used to come in with the sombrero and all the stuff. I think Floyd did that for one fight too, but he got that very much from Roger. Um, he had some good fights. He 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 lost his most famous fights and his step up his two fights with uh, Julio Cesar Chavez and Pernell Whitaker, but. He had some good wins over uh, Livingston Bramble, and uh, the, the Frazier fight was very good. Uh, he, you know, he, he was known as a good TV fighter. He was probably like an A-minus, B-plus boxer, good enough to win a title, not really good enough to beat the best in the sport. And that's fine. You know, There's nothing wrong with being an A-minus fighter who picks up a title. You know, he, he, he made his mark. I don't think... Um, there was just he the problem that he has a fighter is that his chin wasn't as good as uh the style that he wanted to be in sometimes so he wanted to fight these really aggressive he kind of like hunted guys down and um you know and he liked it rugged and rough the problem is his chin you know if you go like Julio Cesar Chavez with his chin who could take anything Chavez was a terrible t- terrible style matchup because he could give it right back and he kept coming so um, so that was one career. The second career is, I think the idea of Floyd Mayweather as a fighter, and because Floyd began and ended his career with his father, I think Roger sometimes gets left out in the mix. But it's very important to bring the point that Floyd's uh, father was in jail through a lot of his early parts of his pro career. Uh, Roger was the one who was really his head trainer through most of his pro career. Um, and so Roger had a little more of an offensive temperament than Floyd Sr. Um, I don't think it's easy to do one by one, but I think Floyd Sr. was the one who taught him a lot of the defensive moves. I thought Roger was always in the corner talking about attitude, and he was always saying, whooping that ass. And, you know, he had that really aggressive you know, beat this guy, you're too good for this guy, you know, keep doing what you're doing, you know. So Roger, they were they were different, Roger and Floyd Sr. I think they both contributed greatly to Floyd's uh, talent level, uh, to his ultimate ability at the highest level of the sport. But I just want to make sure Roger doesn't get left out because I think he was key to instilling that nasty streak that Floyd had. Didn't come out all the fights. But when he needed it, it was there, right? You know, he, you know, yeah. the, the Maidana fight, the Zab Judah fight, you know, some of those fights that got a little nasty, got a little rugged. 
I think, you know, you see, uh, I'm not saying, I know uh, Floyd Sr. was in the corner for the Maidana fight, not Roger as the lead, but I think that attitude that Floyd got, you know, certainly that aggressiveness that he had at 130 and 135 pounds, you know, the, 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 the beating guys down, you know, the, the, you know, embarrassing them, you know, that I think that that aspect of Floyd's overall game came a lot from Roger and, and uh, he had some very interesting boxing observations. I think he could be a shrewd observer of the sport. You know, he could be tough to understand, but you know, Floyd obviously heard, understood what was trying to be said and communicated. And uh, I just hope Roger, cause he didn't train a ton of other guys. He trains a few people here or there. I just hope over time he does his role and Floyd Mayweather's career doesn't get forgotten. Yeah, definitely. And to kind of put it in perspective, what, what you're referring to for the listeners. So there's kind of two different eras of Floyd Mayweather's career. There's the pretty boy Floyd era, which if you go back and you look at that era of his fights, when he was going as, as pretty boy Floyd, he was beating everybody up. He was a lot more offensive, a lot more aggressive. That also led to his hand injuries. And once that started to happen, that's when you started seeing more of the money Mayweather that we saw the back half of his career, a lot more defensive, a lot more calculated, a lot more, um, you know, pick my spots. And then I'm going to humiliate you just with a punch or two or a couple swift moves. That's the different eras of Floyd Mayweather. And that's where you can tell when Roger was working with him mainly and then versus his father, uh, the latter part, because you saw those two different styles that Floyd had and then what he adopted as he went on later in his career. Yeah, and I think after the Cotto fight at the end at 147 is when Floyd went back to his father for good. Um, even though I think Floyd won the Cotto fight pretty uh, easily, easy now. you know he he, he, he got that he got that busted lip or, or bloody nose from from the fight, and I think he got hit too hard and that or not too hard. He said he got hit too much and he he thought he was yeah. kind of need to get back to his defensive roots a little bit more. And I think even at that point. Um, Roger started to deteriorate. I, I following somebody's Twitter feed yesterday, and they said they met Roger nine years ago, which would have made him forty-nine, and he looked at that point in time like he was seventy or seventy-five. Yeah. You know, he had diabetes. He had he had early onset of dementia. You know, he had a lot of health problems, and which had been going on for a long time. And uh, you know, it's certainly possible that uh, you know. You know, Roger. There was a there was a real physical decline, unfortunately. But he was a champion, and um, you know, a, a notable figure in the sport too. Um, if you remember the way he came to try to protect Floyd during the Zab Judah fight when that riot was going on in the in the rounds, you know, in the ring, you know, Roger winds up getting suspended for whatever. But he goes in there. Zab keeps going low. Roger gets right in the ring and is having none of it. And I think that tells you a lot about Roger. Maybe he was a little more hot-headed than some of the other Mayweathers, but he had that um, that sense of combat, you know, that sense of uh, aggression, you know, the, the schoolyard mentality. You're not going to back me down. I'm going to back you down, you know. And, and it's not that he had no strategy or anything like that, because he certainly did, but it, it was that, you know, you're not going to bully me. You know, no one, no one was going to – you know, no, no one was trying to get get one over on Roger on Roger Mayweather. He was going to try and, you know, get one on you. And and um, I I talked to Steve uh, Steve Smoger, the referee, many years ago, and he said he had 
uh, a lot of difficulty with a couple fighters in particular refing. Uh, one of them was Hector Macho Camacho, and they said the other was Roger Mayweather. And I said, oh, okay. I, I, I expected Camacho because Camacho had such fast hands that he could foul very easily and very tough for people to catch it. And they said Roger was a guy like Hopkins in many ways, that he can hold you and hit you. You know, refs on one side, he hits you low on the other side. You know, he knew every foul to do in a way where he necessarily wouldn't get penalized. And Smoker would say, you'd see these things on film and you look out for them. But Roger, you would have to be 100% alert at any time because he would do anything to get an edge. And Steve said this not disparagingly. You know, he, he appreciated Roger. He said he was a hell of a fighter. But that is another interesting aspect about Roger, that he would do anything it took in the ring to get a little bit ahead. And, I, and uh, so I'll leave it with that on that topic. And maybe more importantly than that, maybe not more importantly that, Roger left us with maybe the greatest phrase ever, you don't know shit about boxing. And exactly. he was, the, he was you know, one of the true stars of the 24-7 uh, during the Floyd Mayweather fights there uh, on HBO. It's where he really kind of came to, to fame to where all of us adopted him as our uncle. We called him Uncle Roger. We, we looked at him as being our uncle. I, I know I tweeted out the story that I was in um, sitting at the MGM lobby to get in the doors for the weigh-in for – I actually do think it was for Mayweather Cotto. I was there that weekend, and we saw that fight, which I thought Cotto did a fantastic performance. I uh, just want to reiterate that. But um, but Roger came I through. He came through the main like front entrance with all the crowd and everything. And and I said like the fans parted like the Red Sea for him because he had that much respect amongst fight fans. Like people really enjoyed him. They found him to be. Uh, a character that we just appreciated, and you know, he he stopped, he shook hands with fans, he was trying to get there uh, backstage to get there into the arena for the weigh-in, but still was personal enough to the people as he was coming through to show love to uh, to them as they were showing love to him. So that's something I'll always respect and admire about him, and one of the lasting things I'll uh, remember him for. So uh, definitely rest in peace, Roger Mayweather. Um, you're no longer in pain, yeah. my brother. So. Uh, and it's been a tough week for Floyd Mayweather as a whole. It, it's obviously, if, yeah. if people have read, you know, he lost his uh, the mother of three of his children. You know, she died here over the weekend. He had Roger pass here on Tuesday. So, you know, on, on behalf of the show, you know, definitely want to lift uh, Floyd Mayweather up as well because he, he's going through it. And so it, it's yeah. a tough time. Floyd made a saying that he said on 24-7 and on All Access as well, tough times don't last, but tough people do. So I definitely want to send a shout out to Floyd Mayweather and, and the whole Mayweather family right now. So I'm I'm thinking about a, a story you said about uh, the, the seas parting for Roger and and you know you going back and forth and, and people were talking with him all about the sport. I have to be honest with you, in my experience being around fights and fight fans and uh, trainers from a class of people, absolutely love talking about the sport. They absolutely yeah. love talking to fans. They love hearing their opinions. They love breaking down fights because I think they see themselves as, you know, as part educators and also as part almost evangelists trying to convert others to the sport and, and teach people, you know, what is going on and, and, and what to look for and, and how to see it. I, I have to tell you, whether it's, whether it's Emmanuel Stewart who I had an opportunity to meet once or Kevin Cunningham or Derek James or – you know, some of the other trainers I've had, uh, uh, J-Rock, uh, trainer Stephen Bredman-Edwards, um, 
Chino Rivas here, who, to, who trains uh, Tevin Farmer and uh, Jason Sosa. Um, they they love talking about the sport. Uh, the only one that I've met who doesn't is uh, uh, is Dan Birmingham, a thermos trainer, and he's just one hmm. of these extremely quiet, introverted guys who's just not a natural talker. But by and large, everyone else, I think trainers, and I've read a lot of stories of Roger holding court in Las Vegas, you know, and sitting up till three, four in the morning with fight fans, bullshitting with people, you know, and um, I think a lot of them are like that. And uh, my experience with trainers is, you know, is, is they're some of the best people to talk fights with, and they love talking about it. And, and that kind of helps, you know, enrich the experience for others in terms of appreciating boxing. Yeah, absolutely. When you can get it from someone firsthand who's a part of it, who can see it and can explain to you that because let, let's face it, us fans, we're we're novice compared compared to some of these trainers. I, I said some of them. Some of these trainers is a little bit suspect, but that's neither here nor there. But yeah. us normal fans, we're novice comp- compared to them. You know, they're in the sport, they're in the gym every day. They see these things, they know these things. They're able to break it down in a fashion and in a way to where. You know, put it in layman's terms or dumb it down for the everyday person to understand and see. So, uh, you know, trainers are definitely, you know, big, big, important parts of the game. Uh, cool people to talk to them. I'm like you as well. I've had an opportunity to meet a few of them here and there in Vegas. Always very friendly, always willing to speak. So shout out to all the trainers doing goodwill out there. Um, I was actually going to ask you something that, I, that it just popped up in my head. Oh, okay. Before we get on our next subject, I do want to ask you this question. I know we said this earlier about you know, fights getting delayed and all that. I, I just want to throw this one out to you. Do you think the World Boxing Super Series is ever going to see the light of day? And I'm referring to the cruiserweight finale that we were – That yes. uh, You, you, do, you do, do think it's eventually still going to happen? Yes. Yeah, I do. Uh, the parties want it to happen. Um, I believe – the sports ministry in Latvia is throwing up some very good money to behind it because they want Bradis to win. Um, I think TV has already been locked in in terms of the major markets around the world for it. So I do believe this will happen at some point. Okay. And the reason why I say that is it just seems like this fight in it is, as a whole mm. has been doomed. Yeah. It's yeah. just, it just seems like it just keeps getting pushed back, keep getting delayed. There keeps being issues with it. Uh, we're looking at these guys being out of rank here. It, by the time they end up fighting, it's going to be a full year for both. So uh, it's a shame. Even with that being stated, so I'm also going to throw another question to you because I think the answer is no. After this fight, do we have a World Boxing Super Series as 2020 continues on? That's a good question. Um you know, I'd say no because they've had a lot of financial problems and the word is kind of out for the promoters that nobody wants to kind of deal with that. And um, I would say no in its present form, but I think there's nothing to say that they can't get recapitalized and bring in another player or two to revive it. So what do I mean by that? So, like, let's say the, the Sutherland brothers, Cali Sutherland, Wolf, you know, let's, let's say they're still involved. Fine. They're, people know who they are. They have a good reputation uh, to a degree, you know, certainly in the sport. But the money behind them wasn't there enough. They had play play games. Well, let's say if Sky TV or uh, ESPN or one of these big media companies agreed, you know what, I am going to be the sponsor for this. I'm putting up X for it. 
You know, I think if you get those media partners lined up in advance, it could happen. But the way they did it last time was we're putting this fight together with these people, and then they went out to solicit media companies. And uh, it was definitely putting the cart before the horse. They never got the American buy-in that they should have. The, I think they overreached the second year with having three weight classes. Uh, I like the two weight classes. I think that could work because if one tournament turns out to be a dog with injuries, you got another one. Um, so I'm going to say eventually we could see it, but I don't think we're going to see it in its present form immediately. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, I, you know, part of me it's just really, really doesn't expensive think it's to do. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, it, it's tough. Like, there's very few divisions where there's enough money out there to get that to be done. So uh, there are some headwinds in terms of this keeping going. True, true. And, you know, when you start talking uh, promoters and if you're going to try to bring all the titleists together, it makes things very funny because a lot of these promoters already have deals with other television entities. So it, it can make it tricky, but I, I see what you're talking about. I mean, you know, ESPN tried this once before with their Boxeo tournament they had on a much – much, much, much smaller scale during the Friday Night Fight series many years ago. So, I mean, it's doable. Uh, I know MTK Global has, like, a golden contract that they do. I know yeah. um, even um, Eddie Hearn does something similar to that uh, through Sky Sports over there in the U.K. So, we'll see. I mean, I, part of me hope it stays, and there's another part of me that just really doesn't think it's – it just feels like it's just dragging along. So, I just wanted your take well, on that. Yeah, I mean, I also don't like any – tournament where fighters aren't getting paid on time. I have no tolerance for that. Yeah, that's completely unacceptable. And some of the games that were going on during this round of the tournament, you know, it's fucking bullshit. And uh, it's just not, it's not what the sport's about. If you're a fighter, fighter puts himself at risk, uh, puts himself on the line. We've seen what can happen in the ring. Don't jerk him around with, with getting him paid. You know, you have to like put in requisition forms. You're guaranteeing he gets payment two weeks after, a month after, six weeks. You're supposed to get your check fight night. That's the proceed. You you put in your performance, you get your check. And I don't like how they they change that around and try to change that template. I think that's bad for the sport. So if they if they can get capitalized the right way, they get some really good financial backing. I would you know I, I could see how it could work again, but it's not going to work like this. We shall see as 2020 pushes on. Now, you know something we do want to speak about here is underrated or underappreciated fighters right now in the sport. You know, as we have this downtime, gives us an opportunity to reflect on uh, fighters, you know, whether they're champions, whether they're contenders, whether it's, uh, you know, even prospects that are on the come up that may not be as appreciated or some think are underrated uh, right now in the sport of boxing. So we just kind of want to give you some guys that who we think are a little bit misunderstood, maybe under underappreciated, underrated, uh, right now in the sport of boxing. So, you know, throw a name out at me, Adam. Who's one of the first guys that you have up? All right, so the first guy that I have up that I know some people have seen, because some of the people I'm going to throw up people may not have seen, is um, if you watch the Golden Boy cards, he's usually about the fourth or fifth fight <laughs> uh, from the from the top uh, in the welterweight division. Uh, he's undefeated. Uh, his name is Rashidi Ellis, and I haven't been able to figure out why he can't get a bigger fight. Uh, he had some injury issues. Uh, he's not that young anymore. Everybody on my list, by the way, is at least 24 or older. So I didn't even do like the youngest of young prospects. You know, I have people that by now 
you know, should be seen to some degree or, or old enough where there, where people younger than them are getting champions. So Rashidi Ellis um, is from the East Coast, uh, which is bizarre because most of Golden Boys fighters are on the West Coast. Uh, Rashidi Ellis is from Massachusetts. Uh, he is 26. He's 22 and 0 with 14 KOs. He has two wins over Eddie Gomez. Um, he hasn't had that step up fight, unfortunately. Uh, I don't know why. I don't. Uh, I uh, I don't understand what is going on with his career. Um, he did have an injury after going out of 2018 and 2019, but he hasn't been that active. Golden Boy hasn't given him the push. He can fight. He he. He's aggressive. I wouldn't call him a knockout artist, but he hits hard. He has good athleticism. Uh, he has skills, and uh, I really want to see him tested. So he's the guy that I immediately thought of I, you know, on this list. I don't know if you had a chance to see him. Any thoughts on him? Yeah, I, I actually remember his first fight against Eddie Gomez where he was able to get the stoppage win there. I thought it was a great performance. And then, you know, I, I really didn't get the whole point of the rematch you know, three years later, I think it was just kind of one of those right. things to where they, they both needed a fight, so let's do a rematch. Uh, really didn't need it. I mean, Rashidi Ellis showed that there was um, there was a talent gap. There was a skill gap there. So I, I agree. He should be somebody definitely on people's radar. Uh, very young still. Let, let's hope that once everything gets back up and running – that he's one of the first guys Golden Boy puts on a card because he's got the skill level. Um, we just need to see if he's really one of those guys who can step up to the next level. Now, yeah, and uh, I, oh, go ahead. No, I just said, like, I, you know, I think a, a fight with him and Virgil Ortiz would be fascinating. And I know they have big things designed for Virgil Ortiz, but, you know, in my opinion, Rashidi Ellis is one of those guys who's probably, you know, somewhere between 10 and 20 in the welterweight division. He'd be a fantastic test for Virgil, for Virgil Ortiz. It would be by far the toughest test that Virgil Ortiz would have had. Um, you got both you got both guys in the fight, so if Ellis somehow wins, you know, I don't know. I, I think that's a very intriguing fight. I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but, you know, I, I wouldn't be opposed to it. I'd say that. Yeah. Now, for me, one of the guys I, I was thinking of here, and, and I think his he does have one loss on his record, but I, I want to point this out. This was because of a cut. It was Dr. Stoppage. Um, I, I think a guy that, that I think still has a bright future ahead. He's only 22. Uh, he is 13 with that one TKO loss is Michael Dutchover. Michael Dutchover yeah. is a guy I've been able to watch here during on the Thompson boxing cards that they stream uh, through Facebook and through their website. Uh, he's out of California. He's out of California but he's actually from Texas, so he fights a lot on their cards uh, that they have out there in California. You can see the skill levels there. Uh, he's he's a guy that I think obviously is going to grow. Uh, he's going to move up in weight. He's currently fighting in lightweight. I think you'll see him definitely as a welterweight um, probably sooner than later. I'd say here in the next year to two years, he'll definitely be fighting at welterweight. A uh, lot of skill. You can see that he needs a little bit more polish to him. Uh, but unfortunately, he got cut in his last fight, TKO loss. That kind of slowed down a little bit of his momentum, and obviously he hasn't fought since then while letting that cut heal. Uh, but he's a young man that I definitely think uh, people should have their radar on. He's underrated, and one of the, the young guys that's coming up. The Thompson Boxing continues to find these guys a lot of, out of nowhere. Uh, they really great at talent scouting, uh, as you've uh, done on Saturday Night Boxing, uh, talking about Thompson Boxing. Um, they do good talent scouting and finding these young guys, and he's, you know, proof of that. Yeah, Dutchover was a guy who they were very high on. He's co-promoted by Thompson Boxing and Banner Promotions, and uh, 
He actually was a pretty good amateur. Um, I got to tell you something, though. I watched the fight that he lost with Thomas Matisse, and it was his first fight at home, right? They went to Texas Mm -hmm. uh, because he's usually fighting in California. So, uh, literally, I'm looking at his, his record right now. It's literally the first fight he ever had in Texas. He looked flat from the first fight, from the first moment of the round. You know, he, 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 the cut hurt, the cut hurt him. I don't think he was looking good before the cut. Um, I'm, I, I agree with you. I'd seen him a few times. He looked very impressive in the Ruben Tamayo fight. Um, I like him, but I, I, something wasn't right in that fight against Matisse. Not saying, you know, you kill a guy and, and he has no future, but maybe it was, he was matched too hard. Maybe he, didn't know how to be at home for a, a fight. He just didn't. Something was off. So he's definitely a guy, I think, to keep your uh, – uh, uh, put a pin in, keep an eye out on him. He definitely has talent. I like him. But uh, that was a strange performance against Matisse. Yeah. And now, now who else do you have up that you think uh, is another guy who's underrated? All right. Well, I got – I have 10 on my list, so I don't have to go at 10. I could just go a few. But um, – there's a guy, so Golden Boy, through the relationship with um, I, the Tiger uh, Promotions, which has David Lemieux out of uh, Quebec, they actually have been signing up a few people from Canada right now. And many of them, uh, which is, and as you know, in Montreal, it's a very good fight scene right now. And most of those um, fighters are not from Montreal originally. They're from other places. Um one guy they signed who I'm waiting for them to step up is a guy who fights at super middleweight. His name is Eric uh, Bazignan, and he's 25-0. and 0. He is 24 years old, good amateur. Uh, I believe he um, has the same trainer as Better Biev, um, uh, Mark Ramsey. I could be wrong, but I think, you know, I think he's, he's in that really good gym up there. I'm pretty sure that's the case. Um, and so far, with his 25 wins, his biggest step up has been a guy like Saul Roman, who we've all seen before. You know, he's, he's like that, that veteran. You know, he's 46 and 13. You've, you've seen him 10 times on cars over the years. So I'm not exactly sure what Golden Boy is waiting on here. He's an aggressive fighter, he's a good puncher, um, uh, he's tough. Uh, I don't think he is the most athletically gifted, but he's one of those strong, uh, you know, likes to mix it up, has a good right hand. Uh, so he's another guy. I don't know if you had a chance to see him, but he's that someone who should definitely be on your radar. Not as familiar with him, um, but definitely it is interesting. And like you said, Canada's actually got a, a sneaky good um, – Sneaky good boxing scene going on up there, and they, they're kind of cultivating a lot of their own talent. They have a lot of their own cards, and they built their stars up before we start seeing them on a world level. So not too familiar with him, but definitely a guy I'm going to jot down uh, to be looking for here in 2020. See, this is this is what we do. This is this kind of hips us to, to stuff that we don't know about. Now, this one I, I have here, he's a champion, but I think he's a little bit underrated. Now, you know I'm bad at these foreign names, so hopefully you'll know what I'm talking about here. You can help me out here. But Ordain Obali? Am I not saying Oh, Obali, yes. Obali, very good. Yeah, very good fighter. He's currently the WBC Bantamweight champion. 
You know, here in America, we've got to see him one time. Uh, that was a unanimous decision win here over Rashid Warren uh, last January, January of last year. Uh, since then, he's uh, picked up a couple wins. Um, most notably, he beat up Inouye's little brother. Uh, beat him up pretty bad in that fight, too. Uh, he went on to win the unanimous decision. That was on the undercard of uh, Donaire and uh, Inouye. Uh, oddly enough, his next opponent at some juncture, whenever everything gets together, uh, it is scheduled for May. We'll see if it actually happens. Is Nonito Donaire? Uh, so you know he's currently 17 and 0, uh, 12 knockouts. Really, really good fighter, and it seems like he's looking better. And, and I've got an opportunity to see these last four fights of him. He looks to be improved each time out. He's kind of stepping up to his level of competition. And if it's a guy, in, in, in the case of him fighting um, in a way, his little brother uh, was a Tamamak, Tamak. In a way, Takuma. Takuma. Yeah, I'm horrible these names. Takuma, he was definitely a class better than him, and he showed it in ring. And that's what you want to see. If you know that you're better than your opponent, you completely outclass him. I thought he did that in that fight. Uh, His performance was great. And I'm really interested to see how he performs against Donaire. Uh, I hope that fight does not get too far delayed because it's a very interesting fight uh, for both gentlemen here this spring or this summer whenever it comes to fruition. So the one of the problems that you have with bringing him up is I got to do something I don't want to do, which Uh-oh. is I, I have to shower praise upon the WBC. And this is not something that we like to do necessarily. No, not at all. But every now and then, the sanctioning bodies find people for mandatories or vacants that we would have never seen in any other scenario. So they have Ubali fighting Rashid Warren for a vacant Bantamweight title. And Ubali at this point in time, in 2019, at the start of the year, uh, you know, has been fighting his whole career in France. And I'm not saying France doesn't have any good fighters, but let's be honest. We don't see them. We're not exposed to them. They're kept in France. They're not often fighting around the world. So they saw something, or somebody paid the right sanctioning fees, whatever. <laughs> they installed Ubali as, you know, and, and Warren. And I watched the fight with Warren. And Ubali, it was a close fight, competitive, but Ubali deserved it. And it was in Las Vegas, and Ubali came in as the B-side, and he got the decision, and he deserved it. And I watched him against Villanueva, and he looked very good. And against Inouye, he looked very good. That was a, you know, Inouye had some good good rounds. But Ubali is a very crafty, interesting fighter. He has a lot of fun angles. He, you know, I wouldn't say he's athletic, but he he moves in weird ways. You know, he's unconventional. Uh, He's a good fighter. Uh, So that's a a good call. And and, uh, I was looking forward to his fight with Donaire. And uh, I like that call quite a bit. Yeah, so, all right. What's, no, what's, what's more that you get, got that you think fans should be keeping their eye on? All right. So I got another titleist. Uh, this is the only one I put who is a titleist uh, because I've, I thought I was thinking about doing some others, but I, I don't, I don't want to get too obscure just to, you know, look at me how cool I am. Uh, this guy. This guy is a, a 22-0-1, 108-pound titleist named Carlos Canizales. Uh He's from Venezuela, and uh, he had a wonderful uh, title-winning, uh, or I'm sorry, a title defense against Shokamura last year in China, and uh, he is a wonderful fighter. 
Carlos Canizales. He's tough. He's strong. He's fast. 108 pounds with uh, Ken Shiro uh, is a wonderful division right now, but unfortunately these champions aren't fighting each other, uh, as often happens. Ken Azales, because he's from Vancouver, uh, from sorry, not Vancouver, Venezuela, um, it does, it's not really that connected a lot with, with big promoters at the moment. I, I don't believe um, he can really fight. And uh, I wish, you know, Golden Boy, for instance, is starting to get uh, more of these lower weight class fighters into the States. They've been showing, you know, Elwin Soto, who's another champion at 108 pounds. He's very good. Uh, I would really like to uh, see Kenazales in the States. He's never fought here. He's uh, fought in Venezuela. He's fought in China. He's fought in Japan. Uh, but he's yet to make his way in North America. And so uh, he's one of those guys. Watch some clips of him. Uh, if you want to see the show Kamira fight, Kamira, K-I-M-U-R-A, uh, he's dominant. He's wonderful. You watch him fight, and you're like, this guy's fucking good. Uh, and he is. Um, and so that's another guy, Carlos Kenazales, that I think is uh, is really worth watching. Hmm, all right. Well, interesting name there. Now, I've got another one, and this is, again, I, I'm not like you. I'm not trying to be obscure and say, hey, look at me. I'm going international. But uh, I think this is a fighter that once everything kind of gets back going for boxing, I do have a feeling you're actually going to see more in America or have a better chance to see more in larger fight cards. Um, he is currently 20-0. and 0. He is a featherweight. Uh, Mark Magaso. Now, Mark Magaso oh, is yeah. a Filipino fighter. Yeah, Filipino fighter. I fe- featured him on my 25-25 uh, at 25, uh, list here last year. Uh, still undefeated, still doing his thing over in the Philippines. Now, he is set to actually sign with Pacquiao Promotions. Uh, I think that uh, signing obviously got delayed with everything that's going on with the coronavirus. Coronavirus, Jesus. Um, But he is set to sign with them. So I think with him getting signed with that promoter, obviously you're going to start seeing him on some more fight cards, getting featured, maybe even here in America. Uh, But I've watched this guy fight a couple times on YouTube. I'm pretty impressed uh, by him. Sometimes I think he can get a little bit lackadaisical in the, in the ring. I thought he did that in his last fight here in August. Uh, hasn't fought since then, um, but I definitely want to see him step up in competition and see how he fares against uh, more world-level fighters and, and actually step out of his comfort zone and fighting over in the Philippines. But uh, definitely somebody you should keep an eye on here in the featherweight division. Like I said, 20-0, and 0, 24 years of age. Uh, got some punching power and some pop to him, but definitely need to see how he fights against world-level competition. Yeah, good. You know, I, I actually almost put him on my list, so he was definitely somebody I was considering. A very good name, very good call. Um, I will next go to the 154-pound division. I will go American fighter. Um, I was a little more excited about him until asking around, and I found out that he has some Achilles problems right now, which is not great for a fighter, although a lot of athletes have been able to come back from it. Um, I don't think it's a death sentence it was 20 years ago, but not great. But he's undefeated. He's 15 to 0. He uh, is a Southpaw. His name is Cordell Booker. And uh, he is originally from Connecticut. Uh, I saw him last year against Wally Amatoso, uh, who's been on you know, lots of PVC cards. And he just dominates Wally Amatoso. Wally Amatoso recently knocked out Curtis Stevens at 154 pounds. Uh, Cordell Booker is one of these guys who can fight. Um, he has a tough style. He, um, he's a boxer. 
He moves a lot, and that's why a lot of people are concerned about the Achilles. He, he, he relies on his feet quite a bit. Would not call him a runner, but he moves. And uh, he's a very skilled fighter, but with not a lot of power. So he's one of those guys, like, uh, I wouldn't say he's as awkward as Ray Robinson or as tall, but if you know, Brandon, about matchmaking, nobody wants to fight a kind of southpaw boxer if they don't have to. Do you know what I'm saying? No, no, because that, so, that's a fighter that's not going to make you look good regardless. Right, right. So that's part of his problem. The other part of the problem is that PBC has literally 10 guys at, at 154 pounds right now. So they have so many guys between Hurd and J-Rock and Rosario and Charlo that they need to, and Lubin, that they need to take care of, that Cordell Booker has not gotten the love that he should. Uh, again, he is 28. Um, I would like to see him at that top level sooner than later. Um, got a late pro start. Uh, has only been a pro since 2016. Uh, but the guy can really fight. And uh, I think he's one to keep an eye on if he comes back. Definitely going to make sure that he's still healthy. So I expect him his next fight back to be a tune-up of some sort, but he's definitely a guy that could give some of the, the better fighters a, a tough a tough day at the office. And uh, I would expect him at some point to be competing for a championship belt. And, uh, you know, I think he could be at that level. So we'll see. All right. All right. All right. Now, the next one I got here, he's actually uh, he's a, been a guest here on the show. But I, I like this young man for a couple of different reasons. I'll explain here momentarily. But it's going to be Otha Jones III. Now, this guy was a decorated amateur, decided to turn pro, didn't want to wait for the whole Olympic thing. He, he told me it was just – it just seemed like a farce for him. So he just decided, let's let's get this money. Let's go pro. Um, he is currently 5-0, two KOs. Uh, he's not developed his man strength yet. I think that is to come. He's currently fighting here in the lightweight division. But one thing that I really like about this young man is he's marketing himself. Now, you know, one thing that, that I noticed that it kind of set with him a little funny was he was a part of that big mega card they had down in Florida during Super Bowl weekend uh, that featured the three title fights. Uh, he was pretty upset because he was telling people and promoting through his social media during that whole time that you could watch his fight, and his fight wasn't televised anywhere. Uh, this young man is trying his best to grassroot and promote himself. Uh, you know, that's something you would think your promoter would do a little bit more of, but I really respect this young man's hustle and his hard work. Every time you've seen posted videos, him working out in the gym, it's him improving his craft. He's young. He's going to improve. He's not going to be fast-tracked like a Shakur Stevenson was, so I don't want people to get ahead and say, well, he's he's 20 and he hasn't fought for world title yet. Relax. Uh, he's some time away from that, but I do think this young man is going to have a bright future. He's probably two to three years away from really being on someone's radar as far as a championship level goes, but start getting on that bandwagon now early because I really do think that kid uh, is going to have a bright future and is really going to improve as these years uh, go down and as, as we continue to go and he improves on his, uh, his skills. I'm just muttering stuff now. <laughs> and Eddie, Eddie's been matching him tough, to be honest with you. He's been, he, he's told Eddie, I want tough fights. You know, he, he's been in some really, uh, interesting fights for just a five-fight fighter, you know, who's 20 for an American. It's not your traditional, I don't need to care about him until his 10th fight or his 12th fight. I mean, he's been pushed. And uh, I've been talking with his trainer a little bit, Rashawn, or Rashawn Jones, uh, who's a good follow on Twitter, uh, who also trains Charles Conwell. So they got some good things going on in Toledo. I believe Otha Jones' brother is one of the 
decorated amateurs right now uh, on, in, in, the, in the USA boxing scene. So, and his, his sister uh, as well. I want to give it definitely. His sister's yeah. doing her thing as well. So a whole fighting family, which you really got to respect. Yeah. Good fighter. I like him, you know. Um, let me go. My next one is another Golden Boy fighter. I'm not picking on him. Just, you know, they've been weird. They've had transitions. They haven't, I don't know, some of the fighters, they, I, I'm not pointing fingers today. I'm just saying it is what it is. So, um, Joshua Franco, uh, 16, one and two, he's 24 years old, fights in the 150 pound division. He had a three fight series uh, with Oscar Negrete and, uh, and which Josh won one by split decision and the other two were draws. So he went through almost, uh, over a year without winning or, or let me put it that way. There was uh, a long period where his career in some ways stalled because of those two draws. But Oscar Negrete is a very good fighter. Uh, they were they're well matched. It's one of those series where those two just matched up very well. And finally, Joshua Franco last fight had the opportunity to fight somebody who wasn't Oscar Negrete, and he fought a pretty good fighter named Jose Burgos. And Franco just looked amazing. He had wonderful punch placement, punch variety, intelligence. Uh, he learned so much. You know, he's an aggressive fighter, but he's also cerebral. Uh, puts punches together very well. So he's in the 115-pound division, a side division that is traditionally highlighted a lot in the States, although that's getting better. Uh, he can fight a lot. He's smart. Uh, I expect him to challenge for a title officially in the next uh, – uh, or – I don't know, next year or so if things continue to go right for him and boxing's back to normal. But I don't know if you had a chance to see him on, on some of those Golden Boy cards. A couple of those were those Thursday night cards. But the kid can fight. He's good. Yeah, I actually had an opportunity to see him on uh, one of those cards, and he can scrap. He can definitely scrap. And it's it, I'm, I'm kind of like you. You know, it's, I know, let me just make this clear. Adam is not picking on Golden Boy. Uh, Golden Boy's not paying us to, to name their fighters a part of this. No one's paying us, for that matter, uh, to name their fighters. But um, with them, sometimes it does seem to be – it's really sporadic on how they push some of these guys uh, out and, and the, the coverage they give them, the fights they give them. You know, sometimes I think some of these guys are victim of circumstance there within Golden Boy. And I don't think it's always, the, you know, Golden Boy's fault. I think sometimes just the, it just happens that way. But they they honestly do have a lot of interesting and possibly really good young talent there that just needs to get the exposure. And it's one of those things yeah. where I, I think if we would have said this here, what, three, four years ago, uh, when everything happened in the split and everyone went to PBC, we thought they were left for dead. It was just Canelo there. And now you're slowly seeing the wheels turn to where, it's Canelo there, but there's also Ryan Garcia that's there. There's also Virgil Ortiz there. So there are names that are there that they are slowly cultivating. It took them time, but I think you're going to see that next crop, that next wave of guys that they're going to push out and, and be uh, that second tier of stars for them. You'll see that in the next 18 months, again, if boxing gets back to normal uh, for them. But if they'd sneaky have a lot of interesting and talented fighters there on that roster that just see, you know, one of the problems the radar. is one of the problems is they're signing fighters from all around, but they're still only having their cards mostly in California. So, you know, it's very tough for these guys to build followings. Like Rashidi Ellis doesn't fight in his hometown. 
Joshua Franco doesn't fight in his hometown. They're all fighting at the most part in, uh, you know, uh, um, Indio, California and Fantasy Springs. I mean, you know, Franco's fought in Texas once in the last, I don't know, eight fights, whatever it's been. So, you know, part of it is Golden Boy sees their base in California. They, they can draw well. They've cultivated a fan following. But if you're going to sign these fighters and you want them to grow – uh, you got to take the show on the road a little more. So hopefully as some stability has come back in that organization to a degree, they can start pushing their shows out again. Cause they used to, when they were affiliated with Al Hayman, their shows were and Richard Schaefer. Their sh- they went all over, you know, they were all over, but now they've been mostly California and, uh, you know. go ahead. Um, I've got an interesting one here, and this is probably maybe the oldest guy amongst all of our lists, but I'm going to say this because I don't think he gets the credit he deserves in the welterweight division, and that's Udonis Ugas. Uh, Ugas, I think, you know, obviously he's not a champion, but a lot of us thought he either fought to a draw or maybe even deserved a decision win over Sean Porter. Uh, It was a close fight. I, I, I thought it was for being a Sean Porter fight and actually quasi-entertaining fight because Sean Porter can make very ugly fights at times. But I think Ugas is one of those guys that, you know, he's I, – I don't want to say he's not championship-level material, but he's – I think he – it just it just seems like he's, again, a victim of circumstance and maybe of matchmaking uh, and maybe a victim of um, the powers that be because, again, a lot of us thought he beat Sean Porter. But, you know, he is 33. He's 25 wins, four losses. Um you know, and those losses are, you know, split decision losses here and there on his record. But I, I do think he is, obviously, out of all the fighters who isn't a champion, I think he's maybe the most talented next to Danny Garcia. That's no disrespect to Keith Thurman, but Keith Thurman's never healthy. Uh, out of the guys who are not titleists, I think he is the guy right behind Danny Garcia at 147 as far as the talent level goes. I think he can give anybody a challenge if given the opportunity. But I definitely think he's a guy that's underappreciated there in the welterweight division. Yeah, and uh, very good fighter. You know, he took a couple years off, I believe, in his career. He had some early losses. And then once he's come back, he's, you know, put together some good wins, you know, against uh, Jamal James and uh, Perella he knocked out, I believe. And uh, tough, tough dude, you know. Um, You know, my problem with him, the Porter fight, is, uh, and if you want to say he won that fight, that's fine. I'm not going to argue that. It was one of those 7-5 fights, I think, either way. But, you know, he just wasn't willing enough to let his hands go for my liking. And it bothered me. You know, it's that Cuban mentality sometimes that I see in the ring on occasion. You see it from Rigondeau, and you see it from Lara. If the, if the shot's not perfect, I'm not going to throw it. And you know, Sean was doing those really weird things, that fight going in and out, trying to, like, go side to side. You know, just doing some weird movement for him. He wasn't coming in like you'd expect him, right? He was kind of dancing. And and in some ways, Ugas was thrown off by that. And I just, I saw and I'm like, dude, you're the challenger. Sean Porter, they want to win. You got to fucking take this fight. And I thought he was one of those, well, I did enough to, like, get robbed and complained about it. So I think he's very talented, but I think sometimes for some fighters, 
you know, it's a mindset. Like Broner is one of those guys who it's like, I'm not going to move my hands a lot until I know I've lost the fight and then I'm not going to give a shit. And then I'm going to have some good rounds at the end. You know, it's just, they, they, they beat themselves to a degree. And I saw that in Ugas and <clears throat> I think I might've had it seven, five or six, six. I don't remember who I might've had it a draw, but I saw that fight and I'm like, man, this fight is here. Just be a little more active, be 10% more active and you have a belt and he wouldn't do it, you know? And, and, uh, I'm not saying he can't win a belt. I think he's a tough fighter. I think he's a good fighter. I just, I was so, because he was on such a good run, and he got to that point, and I'm just like, man, he just fucking go for it. And I thought he little, I thought he left a little bit on the table that night. I can respect that. I, I definitely can see that perspective on that one. Uh, who you got up next? Yeah. How many more you got? Because I, I got a couple, but I, I, I'm only going to go as far as you. How many, how many more you have? I mean, the only other name I really wanted to mention is a, a, another guy that's, you know, not in his 20s, but I think he's kind of had a career resurrection, less, definitely in 2019. A guy like Ronnie Rios. Ronnie Rios is one yeah. of those fighters that seems to be maybe turning the corner and, and shit's starting to click for him. It's starting to make sense. Uh, and, 32 and, and three. And who is he promoted by, Brandon? He's promoted by Golden Boy, folks. Um, so, I mean, but but he's a guy that's starting to – you can see it's kind of now clicking and coming together. Now, he had a couple rough stretches where he lost two out of three. But all of 2019, all he did was win. Uh, all three stoppage wins, including one over Diego De La Hoya, uh, which definitely flattened that hype train here last July. Um, but he, he's definitely a guy that seems to be finally, it, it may be clicking for him. He's super bantamweight, a guy that you would think, you know, obviously things fall in the line later this year as they possibly could or should, he could be in a, a title talk. Uh, if not by the end of the year, maybe top of next year with everything getting delayed, but a fighter who I definitely want to show some love to, because he's really turned the corner here, especially last year. And it's been clicking and he's getting those W's in the column. So I have a bunch of rent, uh, uh, of, uh, of Rios notes. Um, he's supposed to fight an interim title against Brandon Figueroa. Now that's a really interesting fight, isn't it? Yeah, because I know you hate the Figueroa's as a whole. No, no, yes. but, but I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say he's garbage. I mean, I think that's a good fight. I mean, I, that's a good fight. And, yeah, uh, yeah, really good fight. And, and I I don't know. I mean, Golden Boy doesn't really work with PBC too much, but that's that's what's on the books. And Rios is one of these guys. First of all, I remember talking with uh, Espinosa's out in California, you know, for Espinosa Boxing, the management company. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they had a lot of problems with, with Rios. And uh, I think they kicked him out at one point, and maybe they brought him back in. Uh, he didn't he didn't train hard. Uh, the talent was always there. And he's one of those guys where on a given night, you saw against Diego De La Hoya, who I, I loved Rios in that fight. I'm like, if Rios has had a good camp, he can win this fight. He's one of these guys who could work look like a world-level fighter. What was it, against Jason Velez? I, I don't have his boxer up, but I think he looked awful. I mean, there, there's some nights where he looks just terrible. Uh, I think he has world-level skills. He doesn't have it's that confidence. It's that consistency of training. Uh, I like him a lot. You know, whenever he's been interviewed, he's a good guy. Uh, he, he just is one of those, if, it, if it's on the right night against the right guy, he could possibly be a champion. But uh, he could also get beaten. So I like that name. Uh, he, he, he can be explosive. He has a lot of talent. 
And uh, he's, he's definitely an intriguing fighter to watch at 122 and 126 pounds. Yeah, and maybe he's getting, you know, shout out to him being the, obviously, the older brother of Alex Rocha, uh, who's been yeah. on the show. Maybe him seeing his brother's rise is making him step up his game as well. So you you never know. Things like that can happen, you know. You, you know, sibling rivalry, yeah. you know, that they want to see each other do well. And that's not saying that he's trying to, to better his younger brother, but it's one of those things where, you know, the saying goes, iron sharpens iron. He's seeing his brother progress and getting that buzz around him. Maybe he said, okay, I need to shit or get off the pot here in 2019 and just started putting things together and getting those W's. Yeah, and no doubt he fought a wonderful fight against Diego De La Hoya. I mean, he looked fantastic that night, and uh, I was happy for him. All right, let me give you one more then. Let's go across the pond to Britain. Uh, every now and then, a fighter springs an upset, and you know they're unhappy about this upset because they keep waiting for him to lose again. Um we see this from time to time when somebody pulls an upset, the promoter's not really happy because you either were the B-side or you're kind of brought in to like give good rounds but not really win. So there's a guy named Scott Fitzgerald. He's 14-0, and 0, nine KOs. He's super welterweight, junior middleweight. He had the gall and the audacity to defeat Olympian Anthony Fowler in 2019. And a fight that Anthony Fowler was supposed to, you know, get some good rounds but win. And not only that, in a really tough back-and-forth fight, Fitzgerald floors Anthony Fowler in the 10th round to put a stamp on it. And he should have won, but let me tell you how tight these scores were. 95-94, 95-94, 94-96. I'm telling you. And then after that, Eddie Hearn puts him with Ted Cheeseman, another really talented prospect. Uh, who was 15-1 at the time, and I don't think he necessarily thought Fitzgerald was going to win that one, and he kept winning. So now they talk about getting Fitzgerald back for a rematch with Fowler, even though there was no rematch clause or anything like that from what I've been told. Maybe there was, but the point is the guy's not supposed to win. Why is he supposed to win? Well, he's already 28, and you look at him, and he doesn't dazzle you. He's one of these guys who's just fucking tough. You know, like Josh Warrington, when you saw him fight Carl Frampton or Lee Selby. These guys are just tough motherfuckers. And a lot of people, especially Olympians, people that have been babied a little bit, people that have a sense of entitlement, you know, a guy like Scott Fitzgerald is going to feast on the Anthony Fowlers of the world because they just didn't know what hit them. And Fowler, I've seen his last couple of fights since that, that time. His last fight was recently... I still don't think he's fully back to where he was. I think not only did he beat him physically, but I think he beat him psychologically. It was a close fight. It was a good fight. But Scott Fitzgerald is one of these guys. I'm not going to tell you he's getting a a belt. He's not. But he's going to be one of those guys who's going to give people work. He's going to be tough. And people are going to underrate him because he doesn't look like he's anything amazing. But he's just one of these rugged, I'm going to throw punches. I'm going to hurt you. You know, you're not going to embarrass me type of guys, and he gets the job done. I was very impressed in that performance, and uh, I, I look forward to watching him fight again. So that's that's the last one I'll bring up. Yeah, I actually do remember that Anthony Fowler fight, and, um, yeah, he gave him that work. I mean, it, it was definitely really a fight. You know, it was a good fight. You know, Fowler wasn't, you know, completely blown out of the water, but you can definitely tell he was beaten and he was starting to break. I, I thought the score should have been wider than what they were, but – 
again, when you're just brought in to be an opponent, funny shit can and typically does happen. So uh, credit to the judges for actually getting it right, or at least two out, two to three getting it right. right. But uh, he's definitely a guy. I, I could see that, you know, as they call him Fitzy over there in the UK. Uh, he's a rugged guy, and I think anybody they put in the ring against him, you know, he's going to definitely uh, rough him up, and we'll see what they're made out of. Now, I don't have any more names, but we did get a tweet from Emily Boxing here on Twitter. Uh, she wanted to give a shout-out to Club uh, Club Show Cutman. She says they often work for free. Their adrenaline prices went up through the roof last year. Generally, these guys wrap hands and work opponents' corners for free. Very underappreciated. Uh, you know, yeah. everybody in the club show level is very definitely unappreciated because that's the lifeline of boxing. You know, that's how guys get their start. Not everybody's going to be an undercard on a top ranked card or get their debut on the zone or get their debut on a PBC card. It doesn't always happen that way. A lot of guys make their debut and really make, um, you know, kind of uh, sow their oats, if you will, in boxing there in those club shows. So salute to everyone a part of the club show scene. We know that you guys are hurting right now as well, um, but definitely underappreciated because they are the lifeline and really the, 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 the feeders uh, for, for boxing. So shout out to everybody at the, the club level. Shout out to the cut man. Now we'll say this. I wouldn't want just a random cut man working on me. Some guys can make it maybe worse than what it is, but these guys are professionals. We hope, hopefully you're just not getting some guy off the street and say, yeah, I'm a cut man. I'll work a corner just so they get in the fights for free. Stranger shit has happened to folks. Yes, yes, the, the Kelly uh, Pavlik Cutman against Sergio Martinez probably cost him uh, that fight. Um, yes, yeah, strange, strange shit has happened. And, and as you, you talked about trainers, you know, there's no barrier to entry to call yourself a trainer. There's probably no barrier to entry to call yourself a Cutman. So um, there's some uh, people out there that aren't as good as others, let's put it that way. And, you know, I got some other guys I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just – I'm not going to get into, you know – that much, but I'll, I'll throw I'll throw you a couple of names out. Not going to get into large descriptions, but for those who are interested, uh, Kevin Larina is a, a cruiserweight from South Africa. Uh, Rodney Berman, who's the big promoter down there, speaks extremely highly of him. I've seen a couple of his fights. He can punch. Uh, I don't know if Usyk was there. I would not like him over Usyk, but that division is starting to kind of uh, open up again, and that's a guy that's worth watching. Uh, Liam Williams is another tough fighter over one uh, in England. Might be getting the Andre fight next at 160 pounds. Uh, had a couple of really tough fights with uh, with Liam Smith at 154. At 160 pounds, he's looked even better. Um, Angelo Leo is a Mayweather Promotions featherweight. Uh, I believe he's already 26 though, but he's kind of these late bloomers. He can box. He can move. He can. He's not a bad fighter. He just hasn't gotten the exposure yet. Uh, hoping he can be tied into some of that PBC. I think he's ready for that next step up. I, I like what I've seen from him. Uh, and then my last guy is uh, Junto uh, Nakatani, uh, who um, is a fantastic uh, young Japanese fighter against 22. Uh, Southpaw, uh, I believe, just won a title um, for his first time. Let me check that out. He, he's a fantastic fighter. Uh, I saw him on one of those uh, undercards of one of the Inouye fights. And, uh, man, this guy can fight. Uh, I expect to see him rapidly rise. Uh, yeah, he won the uh, World Boxing Association flyweight title at 112. And uh, he could really fight. And uh, he beat um, – I'm sorry, he's fighting for a title next. He did not win a title. 
He beat Milan Malinzo uh, last fight in October, and uh, he was supposed to be fighting for uh, a vacant title coming up. And uh, again, his name is Jitsu Nakatani. I know Japanese boxing is going through a great moment right now where you have Inui and you have um, uh, 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 Ken Shiro and uh, the other guy, 112 pounds, Tanaka. And uh, I'm telling you, this guy could be another one. He, he, Nakatani, he's very good. So anyway, those are, those are my lists. But anyway, I think it was a fun subject, Brad, and I think, I think there are some good names you brought up. So I like this. Was, this was a good exercise. I enjoyed it. Yeah, and it definitely gives Fight Fans something to go out on YouTube. Find some of these guys we've listed yeah. here on the show. Uh, find some of their fights, whether it be on YouTube, um, if they're Golden Boy fighters. I don't know if they have them archived somewhere. But definitely find some of these guys' fights. Get up on them. Get familiar with them so when boxing does come back, uh, you can you know be the coolest guy in the room. Be like, hey, I know about this guy. And, you know, right, right, right. Fun to your friends. So um, yeah. one thing I did want to say before we – go ahead. No, I wanted to ask you a question. You know, I've been spending a lot of time in the last week. I'm sure I'll be spending some more time watching some old fights, you know. And so uh, I don't watch as many old fights as I used to. I, I have a, a Facebook page, uh, SN Boxing, and we used to do like a weekly old fight, you know, a classic fight where everybody would like, you know, get in an appointed time at 9 o'clock or whatever, and, and we, we'd watch an old fight and everybody would comment and give their thoughts. Uh, and I miss that. I, I don't get to see as many old fights as I used to. But I've been getting a chance to, to do that the last week or two uh, with everything that's been getting canceled. And that's been a wonderful experience. So I want to give a plug that I am going to be doing one uh, at 4 p.m. on Sunday. Uh, we're going to be watching uh, one of the best fights of the 80s. Um, and, and this is one where um, uh, Steve Smoker says one of the two or three best fights he ever was, which is the first fight between Simon Brown and Tyrone Trice. And uh, it was, I think it was 87 or 88. And uh, it's supposed to be just this amazing, magical, wonderful fight. So it's one of these great fights that, for whatever reason, I haven't seen yet. So we're going to be doing that on my uh, Facebook group at 4 o'clock, on, 4 o'clock Eastern this Sunday coming up. Uh, so if you're at the U.K. or wherever you are in other parts of America, 4 Eastern, you do the math. Uh, but I will say this. I've been, watching, I've been watching a lot of fighters from the 90s. Uh, a lot of Julian Jackson fights. I've been watching, um, you know, Riddick Bow fights. I've been watching uh, Mike McCallum. Uh, I just, it's just, it's incredible to me. I have no larger point as to say that it's incredible what's at our fingertips right now in boxing in terms of going on YouTube. I can't even imagine 10 years ago, you know, the, the, the treasure trove of, fights that are out there, our ability to learn more about the sport, our ability to connect to names of the past. So when you hear about a guy named Ron Lyle, who's a tough heavyweight, well, you could see him fight Foreman, or you could see him fight Ali, or you could, you could learn these aren't just names in a magazine anymore or stories that you'd hear from, you know, relatives in the past. Ah, you know, ah, there's this guy, you know, uh, uh, Gene Fulmer and blah, blah, blah. Well, you can see Gene Fulmer now. You can find him on you know, you can find them on YouTube. And it's just this incredible, like, I'm not happy about no live boxing. I'm going to miss it. It's been a void in my life. I don't want to sound like I'm a complete loser, but I'm only a partial loser. <laughs> Let's be honest. We're also doing boxing podcasts. And what's even worse for you guys is you're listening to a boxing podcast. <laughs> so you can all assume, yeah, so you can all assume that we're all losers to some degree. And boxing has a very important part in our lives. And, uh, 
but the wonderful thing is there's so much available to see. There's so many fighters to explore. There's so much to learn about uh, the sport. I watched this five-and-a-half-minute clip of Roger Mayweather corner instructions uh, you know, with Floyd, and it's just fantastic you know, to kind of get a sense of him you know, again. And it's just, it's just amazing what's out there. And uh, so I encourage all of you to, you know, pick a couple fighters, pick a couple classic fights you haven't seen. It's there. You're going to learn something. You're going to find something out interesting. I guarantee you it's going to inform you, and it'll be well, uh, time well worth investing. I would completely agree. And I'm also, what I, I think I'm going to do here over the course of the next couple of days is I'm going to find fights that maybe were controversially scored or, or people thought that it should have went one way, but it went the other. And I may just sit and just personally just score them and watch them again. Uh, I know somebody, I saw somebody tweet a photo of them. Um, they rewatched Mayweather de la Hoya and they rescored it. Um, I may do that. I may just, just kind of sit and watch some fights and just rescore them and see what's, what was controversial about them. See if it really was as controversial at that time. Uh, is it still that fact now? Was that fight that close? Should it have been went that right. way? But we, we, like you said, we have an abundance of ways to watch fights. Um, it sucks. There's nothing live, but, uh, but again, this is why we gave you guys a list of fighters that are underrated and underappreciated for you to get familiar with. There's tons of other old fights that you can get familiar with. Some of the, the guys who help uh, pave the way in the sport for the stars of today. So you know, just go, like you said, go and educate yourself. You know, we, we are all self quarantining for the most part. We're limiting our uh, public interaction. Sit at home and watch some fights, man. I mean, what else are you going to do? Like, who yeah. wants to talk to their family? So, yeah. Right. Watch I some mean, fights. you know, I was talking to my wife tonight, and she said, we're, I guess we're not going out to dinner with her friends on Saturday night. And I said, well, what else are we going to do? And she said, yeah, what else are we going to do? I said, I guess we can talk. And then she looked at me, you know, with a side eye glance that she gave me. She said, well, we've been talking a lot, you know, and, and it's cool. <laughs> you know, you can only talk so much, right? You know, and we're only in our second year of marriage, so this is going real well. But um, uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> no, everything, everything's good. Everything's good. I gave her a hard time, but she's wonderful. And uh, so we'll see. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, hopefully next time I'm on, we'll come back. And, you know, there, I'm sure there's other ways to look at the sport. You know, I think with the downtime, I have this idea and I, I'm interested in what, what, what you might think about it. So, you know how in team sports every year before the year starts, you have the preview pieces, right? The preview magazines, you know, how are the Chicago Bulls going to do this season? You know, what to expect in the Broncos camp, you know, all this stuff. And that's part of all these magazines. You have newspapers, you have all these supplements, you know, that's part of the season. We can't do that in boxing because there's no season. But what you can do is you could take a snapshot of each of the big promoters so whether or not it's Top Rank and Golden Boy and PVC and Hearn, and say, okay, who are their big fighters right now? Who are their fighters on the, dec- on the decline? Who are the ones that we expect big things from this year? You know, who are some under-the-radar guys? So I think I might start delving into mm. some of the – looking at the sport that way. And I, I think in the context of Golden Boy, for instance, tonight, it's very interesting. I don't know who I'm going to do first, but – I think one of you know, and then you could use their issues. Like you would look at a team. What are what are the Broncos' problems? What are the Bulls' problems? Well, what what are Golden Boys' problems? Well, one of Golden Boys' problems is they're not getting exposure to some of their you know lesser fighters. And you start looking at some of the problems 
you know, and pluses of the various promotional entities. So I'm considering doing that as a way, especially in the downtime. I know I'm going to be able to need to, to do some writing uh, just because I love it. And, uh, you know, and I don't want to like, I'm not giving up on the sport. So anyway, I think that's something I'm going to do to kind of approach things in a little different way. And with the downtime, I think that'd be a good time to kind of get into that to a degree. Uh, that's a very interesting take. I, I dig that. I dig that a lot. Now, I do want to make a quote-unquote public plea, and I tweeted this out earlier, but you know, to anyone who's listening to the show, in the, if you're a fighter, if you're a manager, if you're a PR director, and you want to keep your fighter's name out there and remain relevant, we obviously have a lot of content to fill up. So feel free to reach out to me at BradenP2TF via Twitter. Reach out to me. We'll get you on the show. We'll talk some boxing with you. Um, this is a great opportunity for a lot of fighters to to actually talk. I know a lot of guys, their gyms are closed or their hours are delayed or it's cut short. This is a way that you guys can still stay in touch with your fans, still keep your name out there during this downtime. Definitely reach out. We'd love to have you on the show uh, to talk boxing. So just don't want to throw that public plea out here. As I've reached out to some PR people as well, and we're going to see what we're going to do in the coming weeks because – with no live fights, that leaves the content very thin as to what I can talk about on the show. And Adam can't join me every week, so we're going to get some things figured out uh, over the course okay. of the next couple of weeks as we kind of, um, you know, sit on our hands as we wait for the world to heal uh, over this whole coronavirus. So definitely want to yeah. say if you're a fighter, PR person, reach out. We'll get you on the show. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, from my perspective, that's about all I have for tonight. And uh, it was just, you know what? It was a pleasure talking boxing again, and uh, I miss it. And, uh, I, you know, even if this is going to be for, for many months, Brandon, I hope we can still do this because uh, I know for me personally, I'm sure for some of our listeners out there, you know, we love the sport. It's part of our lives. There's no point in pretending it's not. And uh, it's something important to us. And uh, just being able to talk about it and getting back into that world, you know, it's like I miss it. You know, it's important to us. Yeah, it's therapeutic. You know, as I tweeted out before we did the show, I really felt like shit. But I'll honestly say, as we were talking and and being able to laugh, it's made me feel a lot better. My sinuses are killing me right now. But nevertheless, it felt good to talk about boxing. It felt good to talk about something we're passionate about. So, um, you know, in, the, in these tough times, folks, just there's always something that can make us smile. Uh, boxing does that for me. So hang in there, people. Hang in there. That, that, that's something we definitely have. Uh, things will turn the corner for us. So just, just hang in there, people. Yeah. Well, anyway, I wish you uh, and your uh, family the best of luck and health through all of this. And uh, I'm sure we'll be talking, you know, through, uh, through social media and other means. But, uh, but I wanted to wish you uh, the best and uh, – you know, as this continues to unfold. Yeah, absolutely. And fight fans, make sure you follow Adam on Twitter at SN Boxing as well as SaturdayNightBoxing.com and then SN Boxing on Facebook. Again, Sunday, you'll be able to do the, uh, the, the live chat as we go and we watch old fights. So definitely join the group. Come watch boxing. We'll talk about the fights. Score it yourself uh, for that. As far as it goes for me, Brandon P2TF on Twitter, PunchTheFace.com. Um, I'm like you, Adam. I'm going to have time to write some stuff. So I, I definitely need to delve into some things and get some ideas rolling in my head uh, that now that I have a lot of free time, I might as well kind of uh, start working on. So there'll be some content yeah. up at punchtheface.com. But as always to you, man, it's the same to you. Best of health uh, to you and your family uh, during these times. But uh, there's no way in the world I'm not going to do the show. 
period, whether I'm just talking to my talking for 10 minutes or talking for two hours. Uh, this, this is still a show and a, an avenue for boxing fans. This is a release for boxing fans. So as long as my health is here, I'm not going anywhere. We'll be back here next Wednesday for sure. So Adam, appreciate you joining me again as always, my brother. Great. Great to hear. Thanks, man. All right. And everyone else, I want you to stay safe, stay blessed, love one another and wash your hands. Uh, Keep that social uh, distancing going until next week. I am Brandon Stubbs and I am out.